It is a blessing to be able to share with you this morning as well, and I am very grateful. Oh, actually, I want to dismiss the children to Children's Church at this time. Uh, you see Miss Amy standing over there, and she is ready for your kids. Uh, I believe she's got some help out there with her as well, so uh, if you would... Uh, if your kids want to be in the service, they're welcome to. There are some churches that would not say that, but we're glad when kids can be in the service with us. So it is a blessing to be able to, to worship and to be able to do this. Uh, it is a little bit different. I was talking, she posted on Facebook so I can mention her name. Our worship leader daily has been dealing with COVID and uh, she has not had the significant symptoms that some others have had. Uh, she did lose her sense of taste and her sense of smell. Uh, but one of the things I really appreciated this morning, she informed me how bored she is. She said the number of rotations on her ceiling fan in the low mode is 66 rotations per minute. So that tells me she is incredibly bored right now, and she is very eager to be able to get back out and to be able to worship with us. I think she was a little disappointed when I told her that she was not allowed to be here again today. Uh, she actually began having symptoms a week ago Saturday. That's why she wasn't with us on uh, last Sunday either. And uh, our policy at the church has been that if an individual uh, is diagnosed or they're having symptoms, that they should not be here. I know that the CDC has gone different directions. Sometimes it's seven days, sometimes it's 10 days. Uh, we've just gone with the 10 days because I'd rather us be safe than sorry. Uh, so as of Tuesday, Daly's excited. She gets to come back to work and be involved in the ministry of the church again. So very grateful for each of the individuals who have stepped up, even the worship team this morning. Uh, grateful for all that they did. And there are others actually, uh, I talked with another family who they've got a child in daycare and uh, one of the individuals has apparently tested positive. So out of an abundance of caution, they're not here today. And I appreciate that because the worst thing that could happen would be people that we love and care about end up getting sick because we were flippant about uh, an illness that is here. So uh, we're very grateful for the uh, awareness and the caution that is being exercised. I just encourage you to continue to do that. I want to begin today with a passage of scripture. I know a lot of times I'll do something to introduce it, but uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 this morning, at least to get us started. I'm going to give you a heads up. We're actually going to use several other verses throughout this chapter later on, but I want to begin today by reading from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and this is what it says. I will give you a heads up. I'm reading from the NIV, and that is significant for this passage. It's not always, but it is for this passage, and I'll explain afterwards. So, Beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 5, it says this, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, I told you that this is significant that I'm reading it from the New International Version. That's because verse 4 is left out of the NIV. I'm not exactly sure why it would be left out, but I want to read it to you as it will add some clarity to this story. It says this, From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. 
The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. You can imagine this was a place people wanted to be because apparently something really cool was happening. You know, in Greek mythology, there's a story of a man named Tantalus. He was supposedly the evil son of Zeus. By the way, when we talk Greek mythology, we're talking about, about myth. It's not real, but it is. these are stories that were told throughout the years. His punishment for his evil acts, he was sentenced to spend the rest of eternity, always hungry and always thirsty. The most excruciating part of the punishment would be the fact that he was standing in water and almost within reach of a fruit tree. Anytime he bent down to drink from the water, it would immediately recede, making it unreachable, just as the fruit tree was always just out of reach, unreachable. I imagine that the man in this story today could have related to the story of Tantalus. He is a paralyzed man who has sought out God's healing. So daily, he finds himself sitting at the pool of Bethesda. And apparently, there was something special in the waters of this pool. I can't say that I fully understand it, but it appears that whenever the waters of the pool were stirred by an angel of the Lord, the first person into the water would miraculously be healed. Well, I would think that every person who had any kind of infirmity would try to be there ready to jump in the water. The passage says that there were those who were blind, lame, and paralyzed waiting to jump in. Now, can you imagine the frustration for this man as he waited for the waters to stir? And each time it would stir, he would make his move only to be beaten out by somebody else. I entitled my first point today as Paralyzed by Hopelessness. And I can understand why he might have had a feeling of hopelessness. Yet every day he would return to this pool in hopes that today might be the day for him. You know, hopelessness comes in many different forms and shapes and sizes. Have you ever prayed for something? Only to be disappointed by God's apparent silence? I know that I have. So then you prayed again. And again, you heard nothing. You know, after a while, you begin to wonder if God is even listening. Does he really even care? Let me suggest to you today, first of all, that God is always listening. And he absolutely does care. But sometimes the things we ask for, he says, I've got a better plan. And he knows better than we do. Even on our best day, we cannot compare to the wisdom of God on his worst day. He knows what's best for us. Or maybe it's not God's silence that causes you to lose hope. Maybe it's your own disappointment. You had it worked out in your mind as to what the Lord needed to do. Maybe with politics or even some type of relationship or maybe even a job. And you knew that if God would just make this happen, then everything would be perfect in our lives. But time passes, and the thing we hoped for doesn't become reality, and we begin to lose hope. 
I will say that as I prepare for this message, my mind went back to various scriptures to deal with hope or hopelessness. I'll tell you, there is a stark contrast between the two. Let me give you some examples. In Job chapter 14, verse 14, we read this. Can the dead live again? By the way, this is before Job knows the answer. Can the dead live again? If so, this would give me hope through all my years of struggle, and I would eagerly await the release of death. Of course, Jesus Christ has already conquered death, and the answer to Job's question is absolutely a resounding yes. That means we have a reason for great hope. There is sorrow, there is pain, there is suffering, but we have hope. We have something to look forward to. And in Psalm 25, verse 21, we read, May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. There are dozens of other verses that we find that deal with hope. But there are almost as many verses about people who are hopeless. In fact, listen to the words of Ecclesiastes 9.3. It says, it seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyway. That sounds miserable, doesn't it? It's because they have no hope. Or consider God's coming judgment as described in Ezekiel 7, verse 3. It says, no hope remains. For I will unleash my anger against you. I will call you to account for all your detestable sins. Or consider God's description of the valley of dry bones as found in Ezekiel 37. The the Israelites, having turned their back on God, he says that these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become old, dry bones, all Hope is gone. Our nation is finished. By the way, in that particular story, in the story of the dry bones, God is about to raise up an army and he would restore hope. But in that moment, they felt as though they were hopeless. I don't know if you noticed, but in all of the passages that deal with hopelessness, it also deals with death. And unfortunately, in our story today, this man has likely wondered if there is any reason for him to live anyways. It's likely that this man has even become trapped by self-pity. In fact, look at verse 6 from our original passage. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? At first glance, this kind of sounds like a dumb question. What do you mean, do you want to get well? Of course I do. But hold on just a moment. I know that everybody says that they want to get well, they want to be healed, they want to be cleansed, they want to be forgiven. But do they really? I've counseled with many recovering addicts who say they want to be delivered, they say they want to be healed. Yet the truth is that they like their addiction far more than they like the hope of deliverance. Just because you say you want it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. 
I've talked to others who have become so accustomed to their identity being found in their affliction that they would no longer know how to define themselves without that affliction. It's become comfortable. It has become familiar. They just assume that it will always be that way and they no longer seek God's help or deliverance. Think about Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. He was always sad, always depressed. It became his identity. Who would he be without his depression? So Jesus asked him the question, do you really want to get well? And I ask you the same question for a moment today. Many of us come today carrying various afflictions. Some of those afflictions have been there for a long time. Some are physical, some are baggage that we've carried around for a long time that it's just become a part of who we are. Somebody mistreated us. We had a relationship that was broken. I experienced incredible failure and pain and suffering. And for many of us, we talk about wanting God to heal us, but I ask you again today, do you really want to get well? Or is there comfort in feeling sorry for ourselves? Is there comfort in the familiar nature of our struggle? A biblical example of this is seen in the story of Elijah. He was an Old Testament prophet who at one point began to feel sorry for himself. We think of Elijah as this great warrior almost because this guy stood up against all these different prophets of Baal. He is a hero of the faith. But he reached a point where he began to feel sorry for himself. He's in hiding and he says to the Lord in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Poor pitiful me. I added those last three words just to let you know. Now, I don't want to be insensitive to Elijah's situation. He is correct in his assessment that people wanted to kill him. For much of his ministry, he delivered messages that nobody wanted to hear. He called people out for their sin, and he ushered in God's judgment upon them. Perhaps they thought that if they killed the messenger, then the judgment might not come. That's not the way it worked, but anyway. Actually, it should be noted that Elijah wasn't actually the only prophet left. There were others who remained faithful to the Lord, but in that moment, I guess it sounded better to him. Kind of like a scene from the original movie, The Transformers. I want you to look at it for just a moment here. Stop saying that. Trained by the country. Oh, my goodness. I'm in the car, okay? You're not alone. All right. So I don't know if y'all could hear that. The sound wasn't as loud as I wanted it to be. But anyways, you got this guy who he keeps saying he's one man alone fighting this battle, and he's the only one who can save us. There's someone sitting right beside him, and somewhere he missed it. And I think Elijah probably felt that way in that moment. Thought he was the only one left, and the truth was, he clearly was not. And neither are you. 
You have a God who is here and he is able to take care of you to bring healing and restoration, but you also are surrounded by others who will walk alongside you. It's a part of being a part of the body of Christ. Yes, there are still struggles. There are days that we hurt, but we do not have to walk alone for we have a body that goes with us. Now back to our original passage, we see that Jesus didn't need the pool of Bethesda to heal this man. Look at verse eight. It sounds a lot like the encounter that I talked about two weeks ago. Remember where the the guy is brought in by his four friends lying on a mat? Look at verse eight. It says, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. This man is healed by Christ. Later on, it would be revealed that this man didn't even know who Jesus was. But I'm not sure he cared who Jesus was, at least not at that particular moment. The only thing he knew was that when he got there that morning, he was lame. And now he can walk. I picture this guy being so excited that he never even thought to ask about Jesus' name. Perhaps he wanted to run and tell his family about what had taken place already. Perhaps he just wanted to dance a little bit because it had been decades since the last time that was available to him. Maybe a celebration took place as others would have watched what was happening. Actually, if you read a little further in the passage, it says that Jesus slipped away in the crowd, but he was definitely healed that day by Christ. You know, we've talked recently about how broken our world is today. We see the ugliness within our nation. We see the perpetual unrest. We see division in the home and in the public eye. We see sexual immorality everywhere we turn, and we see all kinds of evil. And in the midst of it all, we see people who are physically, emotionally, and relationally hurting. I'm not sure that many people outside the church actually care who heals them, but they know that they need healing. They look at the things that are happening in our world and they see the brokenness, and they may not even recognize using the word healing in this manner, but they look at the brokenness of our world and they don't necessarily know where to turn to get it, Man, they would love it if somehow we could find some kind of healing. Let me suggest to you today that you are the hands and feet of Jesus. And just as Jesus healed a broken man, it is time for God's people to go out and offer healing to our broken world. Jesus promised his disciples that they would do even greater things than that which you have seen. Well, the disciples are no longer here, but the same spirit that dwelt in them dwells in God's people today. It's time for us to unleash that spirit. When we see the brokenness of our world, we need to be the ones to offer them hope by pointing them to Jesus Christ. Well, the next thing we see is that this man is freed by obedience. Look at verses 9 through 11. It says, the day on which this took place was... A Sabbath. 
And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Now I got to tell you, these verses kind of funny to me. On the one hand, the law stated that there were certain things that you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath day. Actually, the law that we're referencing here actually is the religious law that was passed down from Moses. However, by the time this passage takes place, the law had become so twisted that it had become nothing less than unattainable. It was more of a tool for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, to point out to everybody else that they were more godly than you were. It wasn't about people drawing near to God or being able to understand his expectations. It had become basically their tool to make themselves look good. It was no longer about walking in obedience to God. So on the one hand, you have this law regarding the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do any work, which means you can't even carry your mat, the mat that you normally would be laying down on. On the other hand, you have this man who has just healed you of a very serious ailment. And as he healed you, he instructed you to pick up your mat and walk. Are you going to argue with him? Well, sir, I appreciate the healing and everything, but... um. I'm not going to carry my mat. Of course not. No way. You're going to do whatever he tells you to do because in that moment, you know that what he just did was very much real. Now, I want to go a step further with this. It's more than just a funny point of this guy choosing to obey the laws according to the religious leaders or obey the instruction given by Jesus. It also points to the fact that there is freedom through Christ, rather than simply obeying the law. Don't get me wrong on this. This is not a license for us to remain in sin and to walk in disobedience of him, but rather this is the realization that Christianity is about much more than just keeping a law. There are many people who can do good things, but it does not necessarily mean that they are right with God. This is not about a religion as much as it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What happened was this man found freedom when he walked in obedience to Jesus Christ. Know that Jesus was not instructing him in disagreement with the actual law. The law that Moses gave revealed the high standards of God. Yet it was never intended to bind God's people from responsibility and service. For example, as we'll see in a moment, even the act of healing this man was viewed as breaking the Sabbath. They want to know who healed you because, well, you shouldn't have done it on the Sabbath day. Yet this was Jesus simply bringing God's blessing to the people regardless of which day of the week it was. An Old Testament example of this is found in 2 Kings chapter 5. You can tell I've been reading 1 and 2 Kings a lot in my devotions because it's reappearing in my sermon. It's the second time I've referenced it. But it's the story of Naaman. He is the commander of the army of the king of Aram. What that means is 
He's a pretty important guy, but he's got a problem. Apparently, this man who is well-respected, a great leader, someone who has brought many, many victories for the king of Aram, he has leprosy. Well, at some point, he learns about a man named Elisha. By the way, that's Elijah's successor, the same one we were talking about earlier, who could heal him. And so he travels to Israel in search of healing. Elisha is more than willing to help. And so as Naaman arrives at Elisha's house, we're told that Elisha sent a messenger to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Now immediately, Naaman is offended. And you can understand a little bit of why that would be. Here's this guy, Naaman. He's important. He's powerful. He's got authority. He's a man of great influence. He actually brought with him gold and silver, all kinds of things to give as an offering to whomever it is that would provide healing. Yet here Elisha is, he doesn't even come to the door. He sends somebody else. He sends a servant who tells him, I want you to go and to wash in the Jordan seven times. You can almost picture this angry man. Doesn't he know who I am? I guess he was almost expecting that Elisha would not only come out and pay his respects to this man, but that maybe he would wave his hands over the infected area and he would do some sort of incantation that would suddenly make him be made whole. The other side of this is the instruction that was given was for him to go wash in the Jordan. Certainly there are other rivers that would be far more impressive than the Jordan River. So this man, Naaman, walks away in rage. But his servants stop him. They say to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then... When he tells you, wash and be cleansed. Calmer heads prevail. Naaman goes down to the Jordan River. He dips seven times into the water. And on the last time, he comes out as clean as a whistle. Know that there would have been no healing, no freedom, had he not been willing to do exactly as the Lord had instructed of him. Let me close with one final point with you this morning. It's found in verse 14 from our original passage again, but I will tie it back to the story of Naaman and Elisha in just a moment. In verse 14, it says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, So you got this guy who he's been healed. He was lame and he's no longer lame. He's been healed. He doesn't even know who it was that healed him. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. In that moment, this man is restored by Christ. What Jesus is doing in his statement is saying that you now have a second chance. He's getting a do-over. He says, you're healthy. Now you need to leave your sin behind and live like you've been restored. Otherwise, there'll be consequences. You know, second chances are a beautiful thing. 
We've all needed them at some point or another, maybe in our marriage, maybe with our kids, maybe in our workplaces. And it's not to say that we somehow deserved a second chance and maybe other individuals didn't, but I'll tell you what, it sure is nice when we get a second chance. In fact, let me demonstrate this again with the story of Naaman. Remember that he was in a rage because Elisha didn't do things the way he had expected. He was heading home to go pout and probably even plot against the people of Israel. I'll get even with you because you weren't willing to come and meet me and take care of the needs. You say you have this power. You say you have this authority. I will make Israel pay. He had that authority until one of his servants talked him into obedience. And again, like the man whom Jesus healed, neither man likely cared who it was that healed him. In Naaman's case, he didn't care who Elisha was. He didn't care what God Elisha served. The only thing he cared about was, I have leprosy and I want to be healed. They just wanted to be healed. This man didn't even know who Jesus was. But what I love about the story of Naaman is that it ends with him choosing to serve the Lord. Elisha goes out to greet the recently healed man. I don't know if you noticed that. It's different here. As, as we read through that passage there in, in 2 Kings, Elisha initially sent a servant to go tell him, this is what you need to do. Second time, when Naaman shows up at his house again to say thank you, to celebrate, Elisha goes out to meet him. And Naaman declares, your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. You see, apparently, Naaman comes to him and he says, basically, let me give you something. You've been so good to me. You've been so generous. You've helped me. You've blessed me. You've healed me. Let me give you something. Remember, he came expecting to do that. Elisha refuses. Elisha refuses because this wasn't about getting rich. This was about bringing glory to the name of God. And as the conversation continued, this guy reaches a point of surrender. He says, let me take as much earth as much dirt as I can, because I want to be able to kneel down. I want to be able to worship on the ground where this God has dwelled, and I will never again worship another God. Elisha sends him out in peace. Naaman showed up looking for physical healing, and my guess is that many of us have come looking for some type of healing. Yet Naaman walked away restored both physically and spiritually. Although many of us come looking for some type of powerful work of God to have physical needs met, and that's a realistic thing, it's a great place to go in the midst of our trials. In the book of James, we are told that if a brother is sick, that we should call upon the elders of the church to pray that they may be healed. Clearly, God is the right one to go to when we need his physical healing. Let's face it, our physical infirmities are temporary. 
And as much as we may be concerned with all of our ailments, all of our afflictions that happen here, the truth is these are temporary. There is an eternal need that must be met. We do not just need a physical healing. We need a spiritual healing as well. Know that our God is a God of second chances. And as much as he is able to heal you physically, emotionally, or relationally, he also desires to heal you spiritually. In fact, maybe that is the thing that we need the most today. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, we come before you and we recognize that you are very much interested in our afflictions. You do care when we are broken. And you are the right place for us to go. Father, I pray today for your healing. I pray for those who right now are dealing with very serious health issues. And they're not sure if they're going to be able to make it through some of those issues. I pray for the one who in here today has nerve damage. The one who in here today has been in pain for years. Father, I do pray for your physical healing. I pray that you would touch them and that in this moment they would recognize that it is your hand that is at work. But we have seen your miraculous power displayed. We have seen you touch those who are broken and make them whole. So we know that it's possible. We read all about it in your word and we've, we've seen it even in our own lifetimes, even here in this church. We know that you are a God who is able to give second chances. Some of us have come and it's not a physical need, but there, there's incredible brokenness in our marriages. It's not what it needs to be and something needs to change, but we don't know how to do it. We can't do it on our own. So God, we need you to intervene, to give us a second chance. Some of us need second chances with our kids. We look at the decisions our kids are making and it breaks our hearts and we don't know how to fix it. The only thing we know to do is to turn it over to you. So we ask right now that you would give second chances, that you would bring healing, spiritual healing in their lives. Father, I pray most of all today, not just for the physical issues, not just the struggles that in many ways have become defining in our lives. We recognize that those needs, they may seem eternal because it seems like we've been dealing with them for a long time, but they are still temporary. Father, I pray today for the eternal need. Maybe there's one here today that doesn't know you, doesn't know your peace, doesn't know your grace, doesn't know how much you love them. But I pray that we would be like Naaman, that we would be like the man who was healed by the pool of Bethesda. Lord, I pray today that you would allow us to get up and to leave this place as people who have been redeemed, people who are changed, who will never again worship any other God but you. Father, I pray for your forgiveness and I pray for the infilling of your Holy Spirit that as we walk out of this place, our second chance will be identified by the Spirit of God alive in us. 
fill us, use us, work in us to accomplish more than we ever even thought possible. Father, I pray today that you would truly give us that second chance. With every head bow and eye closed this morning, maybe today your life is identified by an affliction. And maybe today you simply need to release that affliction to God and you would just say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't need to know what the affliction is. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your body. Maybe it's in a relationship outside of your family. Maybe it's in your workplace. If you would just say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me because I don't want these things to defeat me. I don't want these things to identify me anymore. Anyone else? I see hands up. Father, I pray right now that you would bring healing. That these would be a part of our testimony. That we would be able to look and to proclaim that these are the things that used to identify us. But we have been healed. We have been forgiven. We have been redeemed and restored. And from this moment forward, we will walk as those who truly are identified by the Spirit of God in us. Father, may you be honored in us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I do want to encourage you that the greatest healing God could ever offer you is not what happens physically. It is in regard to your spiritual walk. It is not about keeping the law. It's not about you becoming good enough. You should be good. You should live a godly life in response to the relationship that you already have in Jesus Christ. But this is truly all about a love relationship that he's made available to you and me. If you do not yet know that, okay, you say, well, pastor, why didn't we pray for that just a minute ago? Here, here's what I want. If you do not yet know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I am inviting you. I am asking you to come see me after the service. I would love to be able to pray with you and to be able to talk about what it means to truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a blessing to have you with us today, and I do hope that you have sensed the presence of the Lord as I have today, and I hope you'll come back and join us again next week. Thank you, and go in peace.